Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment. Think healthcare provision during a pandemic. Think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, I speak to Gemma McCall. Gemma is co-founder and CEO of CultureShift, which offers businesses a reporting platform to identify and prevent harassment and bullying. In the interview, Gemma discusses the most common forms of workplace harassment, how her own experiences shaped her career, and why data and maybe even artificial intelligence can help overcome this problem. But first, I ask Gemma to offer some insights into how CultureShift's system works. Back in 2010, uh, the NUS um, published a, a some research called uh, Hidden Marks, which was uh, research into the experience of um, female students at university. And that research found that during their time at university, 80% of female students would experience sexual violence or sexual harassment, but only 2% would report it, which is obviously just, there's a gulf between those two figures. So the, the way that we started was to understand what the kind of barriers were to, the simple kind of barriers were to reporting, because it was actually, it turned out really difficult to make a report about something at university. You had to walk into an office, basically, and ask for a form, then go away, fill out that form, and come back in and say, hello, can you help me, please? Um, There was no online mechanism for anyone to be able to report something at a time and place that was safe and comfortable for them. So we started out by um, understanding that and making the steps to reporting just as easy as possible. So um, we developed the support section, um, which also helps people define what they've experienced, because that's another thing that people um, struggle with, which is I'm uncomfortable with uh, something that I've either experienced or witnessed, but I'm not sure how to define or label it so support articles are there to help with that process then you can either report um, anonymously or um, by giving your name and contact details and someone will contact you then to support you um, and offer you the different support routes available the anonymous reporting route is absolutely key and I think we've found that recently with um, like over the last couple of weeks kind of as we're recording this um, the everyone's invited um, website has been kind of in the news headlines almost daily for the last couple of weeks and that's because the world is sort of shocked that at this point there are 14,000 anonymous testimonies of um, of uh, mainly schoolgirls um, sharing their stories of um, sexual uh, assault and harassment but they've been able to do that anonymously so it, it kind of doesn't surprise me that there are so many testimonies there because that anonymous being able to stay anonymous removes a lot of the um, fear of reporting so you can report anonymously or make a named report and then um, the organization is firstly able to kind of better handle your 
pace and offer you support in a more in a faster and more effective way but what the organization is also able to do with that um data is understand any toxic trends that are within the organization um so they can identify you know whether there's an issue with bullying in the IT department, for example, and then they can take proactive and preventative steps to mitigate that risk uh, and for it and to prevent it uh, from happening again. It sounds it certainly sounds really powerful. Some of those numbers you highlighted there, Gemma, are, are really shocking, aren't they? And, and disturbing in a way. I mean, you talk about university. Let's let's talk about kind of the workplace as well. Do those kind of numbers, the discrepancy between the number of women who have experienced this and the number of them who report it does that kind of translate as well into, into the workplace because you'd almost think a workplace hopefully would be an easier place to kind of talk about these things right at the end of our reporting our anonymous reporting route uh, you're able to um tell the organization why you chose to report anonymously and the top three reasons are always i fear the repercussions uh, to my um career um, I felt like I wouldn't be believed or that it wasn't serious enough to make a formal complaint. And, and it's important to say that where our software sits, isn't, it isn't starting a formal complaints process. It is just to access support for what you've experienced. And then ultimately a formal complaint could come out of it, but um, it's helping people process and live with whatever the experiences that they've had rather than to instigate formal HR processes. So, so across the board, we've now got 60 um, systems live across um, the UK and Ireland. And those are consistently the top three reasons why people choose to report anonymously. So there's a real, we really have to overcome that fear and those barriers to reporting and, and, and speaking up and saying, my name is Gemma and this happened to me. I know you're going to believe me. I know you're going to treat it seriously if um, if it's happened, you're going to you know, investigate fully. And that's why I'm happy to put my name to this report. And that culture doesn't exist either within workplaces or within higher education enough now. And that's why I think people are so shocked by the everyone's invited thing, because it's still quite a hidden issue, even though like the, the um, research that I mentioned earlier from NUS, that was done in 2010. So we've known about these figures, these and the government know about these kind of figures and these levels haven't moved really since that time. Um, but this is just recently, you know, hit the news. And so everyone's kind of shocked, but it's not, if you're in this work, that isn't a surprise. It, it shouldn't be a surprise though, should it, Gemma? Because as you say, a lot of people have been, you know, suffering and carrying these burdens for many years in silence. Um, why is it then, do you think that there hasn't been that kind of discourse in, in the media or within kind of the business world about these problems. Why do you think that hasn't been the case? I think it was the, the TUC did some um, research and found that the, um, the cost of bullying in the workplace costs the UK economy £18 billion a year. So that's like taking into account um, you know, obviously legal costs and cost of investigation of specific instances, but also the cost of presenteeism, um, you know, loss of um, work when people are signed off with stress, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they found that it was, it was costing 18, the UK economy, 18 billion pounds a year. So when you understand that statistic and you think, well, 
you know, that's ridiculous. What a ridiculous waste of money. Yet we're still in this place where it is easier to kind of silence the person who's experienced it and move them out of the organisation rather than get to the root cause of why it's happening. Because getting to the root cause of why it's happening is quite difficult and it's challenge and it's and it's hard work um, to, to, to change culture. You know, sometimes, you know, in some of the bigger organizations it's like you know turning an oil tanker around it's you know it's significant change work but I think we need to start having the conversation much more publicly and I think it is happening actually you know like that it's it's very rare that a week goes by where a business or an organization isn't called out for mishandling either bullying or racial harassment or sexual harassment like just, you know, in the last kind of month or so, we've had the uh, chairman of KPMG having to step down because of something that he said in a meeting. Um, we've had um, the bullying, the allegations of bullying with um, at Goldman Sachs. Um, there's kind of, it's, you know, there's a, a number of kind of high profile organisations that, that do hit the media for mishandling it. I, I don't know whether the consequences are big enough yet for getting it wrong. Um, and I think maybe if that changed, then that might have the the positive impact that we're looking for. It's kind of sanctions and negative repercussions that will maybe like make people sit up and listen rather than the kind of hidden costs, if you like, of bullying. Hello, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this podcast, and if you want more, you can head over to techforgood.net for some compelling and thought-provoking stories. From high-tech insect farms that could solve world hunger, to a global mission to counter the spread of COVID-19 disinformation, we've got Tech for Good covered. You can read and subscribe at techforgood.net. What form does this kind of harassment and bullying most commonly take Gemma in the workplace? Maybe gives, you, you mentioned um, racial discrimination, areas like that. What are the most common kind of forms of harassment that you kind of learned about in, in, in your role? And maybe give us a bit of insight into the, the impact this can have on people and, and, and how damaging it can be. So the most common forms are harassment and that's harassment of um, people with protected characteristics under the um, the Human Rights Act. So that is um, women, people of colour, um, LGBTQ+, um, uh, disabled people. Um, there, there is generally high levels of harassment um, from uh, of, of people uh, who kind of fit into those categories. Um, people don't feel um, able to call it out in it like as it's happening because that's a very difficult thing to do like I, I talk about being an active bystander all the time um and I and I absolutely sign up to the theory of being an active bystander but when you're in the situation it's really awkward and it's really hard to call it out um so I, I don't think kind of that happens enough so incidences are able to kind of slip by without being being called out and it's a lot of the kind of microaggressions that I think kind of people have started to understand more since the um 
the Black Lives Matter movement kind of you know, the resurgence of that with the um, the protests and everything last year and the talk around microaggressions more widely. That is what people suffer and it chips away at you, you know, like suffering those small instances day in, day out, chip away. And that just, if you think about the, the repercussions of that, just for a moment, not only is the person who is experiencing the, the, um, the harassment, you know, troubled by that, but if they can't work, then that's potentially their families, you know, the, the spiral of the um, finances and kind of pressures of that can, can then get out of control. The repercussions can be absolutely huge. And um, something that I'm really, I'm really proud that um, that we exist uh, because of about the story that I'm about to tell you. But I wish that this wasn't the case. Um, but we had one instance that we know about where um, someone left their suicide note in a report within the system, and the the um, person, the project manager who you know uh, maintains the system at that organisation, came to us and, and told us about it because he was convinced that had they not had the system, they wouldn't have been able to get to that person and intervene and save that person's life if it hadn't have um, if it hadn't have been there and they hadn't have been able to make that report at that time and place that they felt able to. So I'm I'm hugely proud that 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 we were kind of there to sort of be you know to able to sort of support that person when they were in their darkest moment but that is the level that that we're talking about that you know that the impact of bullying and harassment has on people um it's it, it impacts people's lives in in you know the the sort of most unthinkable way that you can imagine and so we have you know we have to do something about it we have to acknowledge the fact that it happens and do hard work to make sure that it stops happening to as many people as it is. Gemma, I want to um, ask about you and your kind of background. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about that and what inspired you to kind of go into this area and try and make a difference. So I've been sort of really passionate about um, my career and absolutely have loved my career as a salesperson which is which is my my background um and then uh, I got married and decided to have um children and faced discrimination um both times around uh when I tried to return uh from maternity leave um from having my kids and the isolation that I felt the first time round um, really had a massive impact on my confidence and, and everything. And the thing is, when you're on maternity leave, obviously you're away from the workplace because you, your life has just changed and you've just, you're looking after this, uh, this little being that you've just brought into, brought into the world and coping with, the, with that. And then as it, the time starts to come where you're thinking, you know, I'm going to go back to work and, you know, sorting out nursery and everything, the, the horrible doubt of, Am I going to be able to do this after a, a year off? Um, am I am I going to be as good as before? Or you know that all those doubts that you have inside yourself um, exist. And then when so I, I was made redundant illegally whilst uh, you know the first time uh, round when I tried to return, and it was like someone had confirmed all the worst thoughts 
that I was feeling about myself and that kind of knocked my confidence even more and because you're kind of out of the workplace and you're not necessarily comparing uh you know you're not you're not talking to other people about your experience because you're quite embarrassed about it and everything um it's a massive vote of no confidence then when it happened the second time round, um it was a, a few years later and uh, i had like instagram as a bit of a kind of not an outlet but as a research um a, a place for to find out information and i came across this um organization called pregnant then screwed um who said that um in their i think in their last bit of research they said that 69,000 women per year lose their jobs for going on maternity leave and that was massive and all of that was a huge eye opener to me because it was like so i'm not the only one i'm not alone in this actually it's a it's an issue that's happening to many many women out there and that's kind of when i first found activism i guess um and decided at that point that i really wanted to do something that changed things changed the status quo and um, made an impact and so um my business partners and I, um, we, we were running a, a digital agency at that point, and uh, we sort of um, changed things kind of in, in agency world, but um, it was when we started to collaborate with the University of Manchester and we really, our eyes were like opened to these hidden issues within higher education initially, and then sort of very quickly afterwards, understanding that it's not just like a little, an issue in that pocket of society is it is you know across wider society that i just kind of found my purpose really um i wanted to do something that change ch change the world in some way that means that i leave it in a in a better place than it was when i arrived but also having kids and particularly having my daughter i just I feel like it's my mission to change things so that she doesn't face the same sort of discrimination that I face. She can she can go off and have a, a baby and return and 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 her employers will understand that just because she's now a mum doesn't mean that she wants to be a career woman any less or is even any less committed to doing the best work that she can. So that's my driver, really. And that's really inspirational, Gemma. And tell us how culture shift has kind of grown from that point where you decided with your business partners to, to go down this route. What, what's the journey been like since then? And maybe give us an idea of the kind of scale that the company is operating at now. We launched the um, system with the University of Manchester um, back in, I think it was early 2017. And pretty much the sort of week after we launched it, there were um, a number of like of the UK's highest profile um, institutions coming to us saying, please, can you do uh, something like that for us? Um, and then kind of as we were launching, probably as we were launching the second system, the Me Too movement sparked. And the Me Too movement sort of for, for me wasn't, um, it was a bit of a, an eye opener in terms of how the world I think had kind of woken up and gone we've been tolerating this for years and years and years and we're not going to tolerate it anymore we're going to start calling it out so that kind of propelled us really um to 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 carry on if you like um 
there were then a few uh, things that um, we were involved with that I was really proud so of, which is um, we were recommended in uh, Universities UK um, kind of best practice in their reports around tackling uh, racial and sexual harassment within universities. Um, then uh, we worked with the Equality and Human Rights Commission to feed into a couple of their reports, one about racial harassment at universities and one um, about the um, helping them with the technical guidance for employers and um, to tackle sexual harassment and harassment in the workplace which is kind of a bit of a a warning shot for employers if you like to kind of go this is what is going to be expected of you in legislation shortly but you can get your house in order if you follow this technical guidance um, so I was really really proud to be involved with that um, and then it's kind of gone from from strength to strength as um, the regulators within certain sectors have kind of had a bit of a step change and have um, decided to take to treat cultural issues as seriously as they treat issues around um, fraud and things like that. Um, then last March, we closed our first VC funding round, which I was really, really pleased with, because at that point we were still bootstrapping the business, which for any business owners knows that that's quite a challenge because you're sort of leading a bit of a kind of hand to mouth existence when you're first getting going. So the VC funding has um, enabled us to um, grow our team, which is just, they inspire me to, to like keep going and, and do it every single day. Um, but it's allowed us to build the tech and it's enabled us to amplify our message um, further. So um, it's been, even though obviously it's been against the backdrop of COVID, this year has been really exciting for Culture Shift in our kind of growth story. Do you want to keep up to date with the latest in enterprise, technology and digital transformation? Visit digitalbulletin.com for news, long reads, thought leadership and so much more. That's digitalbulletin.com. It does feel like we, we are making progress in, in beginning to kind of tackle this issue. And obviously you guys are at the vanguard of that. Let's bring it back to kind of technology and, well, not necessarily technology, but the outcomes technology can help deliver. So whether that's pr providing anonymity to somebody who wants to report an, ex an example of harassment or, as you said, giving an organization data that enables them to see where problems may lie. How big a part of this whole piece does technology kind of play, do you think? I'm not sure whether it's whether it's technology, but data is is becoming, uh, as you would kind of expect, absolutely vital for be for um, organisations to be able to take action. And so, what we encourage um, the organisations that we work with to do is is kind of layer up the data that you've got and because there's the data set that you get through our reporting um, system, which allows you to see specific instances um, of harassment or bullying happening in your organization. But it's really important as well to un put that together with the data that your, uh, that you, you know, your recruitment data, for example, if you've kind of, you know, shared your little black square on uh, social media to say that you support the Black Lives Matter movement and that you are changing your recruitment policy to um, recruit more diversely, 
that recruitment might be working, but then put together with your attrition rates, that 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 you, that might help you understand as an organization that you're attracting the the people that you want but then it's not an inclusive environment for them to be in when they get here so then they're leaving the organization so being able to kind of layer up the data that you already have within your organization tells a very powerful story and a, a story that organizations need to read and listen to um and obviously technology makes that easier either to collate or um or to do the trend analysis but uh, uh, but it's that's the the powerful game-changing piece i think and in terms of the roadmap of technology going forward Gemma, it must be pretty exciting to think that with with the kind of technological revolutions happening and that focus on data as you say that we can go a lot further to kind of resolving these issues what are the kind of software and tech trends maybe you can share a bit about what culture shift are kind of thinking in this in this kind of area going forward what are the what are the new things coming up and in, in the future that will help you do what you do even better so i think something that i'm interested in but i'm also sort of equal parts a little bit nervous about is the role of ai within our software so there isn't ai in our software at the moment um because I, I, it's, it's fine for technology to facilitate and make it easier for someone to report and tell their story. But I think it needs the human interpretation to understand, right, these are the nuances and in what has been reported to us. And therefore, this is the kind of support that I should recommend. And I don't think AI is good enough to understand those nuances and interpret the language uh, that someone uh, is using yet and so that's why we've um you know haven't incorporated it into our software yet but i do think potentially in the future that could that that could start to happen and i'm i'm interested in sort of yeah or we'll always kind of keep an eye on on that and whether whether that will help us and help people report and get better outcomes yeah we hear that a lot about ai it's it's that kind of balance between the, the potential power of it and and the and that side of it that you talk about where you're not entirely sure especially around an issue like this which is so human kind of centered isn't it it's um definitely it's a fascinating one and one to keep keep a check on in the future Gemma, we're nearly done i just want to ask sort of on a final point talk about because obviously this this only really changes when the, the big organizations really kind of embrace and talk about this issue, whether that's a, a big business or, or or an academic institution like like you mentioned earlier. From your work, and obviously your, your company is successful, you're you're engaging more people, you're you're doing more of this stuff. Do you feel that is gonna happen at scale? Do you think businesses are gonna engage in this problem properly at scale? Because it's only really once that happens that we can begin to kind of imagine fixing this issue for good, right? Yeah, um, I don't think they will unless they're told to. So, um, uh, you know, for example, within higher education, we have a handful of um, of organisation of, of institutions who publish the um, data that comes through their reporting platform. Um, we encourage all of our clients to, to do that because what it, it helps is another way of removing barriers to reporting. Because if you can say, this is what was reported, this is the percentage of named versus anonymous, 
this is the reason why people chose to report anonymously and this is what we've done about it this is the action that we've taken specifically around the reports but also this is how we're reassuring you that if you report you know we'll we'll do something about it um like i say still only a handful of organize of institutions are doing that um i would love to see a day where they have to so whether their regulator says you have to publish this data on an annual basis and then we can see the the national picture then and go okay this is what's actually happening let's improve these services so that, that, that um you know it can stop happening or or when it does happen the experience for the victim survivor is better um i don't think it'll happen naturally unfortunately i do think that um that regulators will have to get involved and make organizations do that and i hope they do i really hope that they uh, they do because i I think it'll have a really positive impact on society. That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher.